Before we get into today's commandment, I want to just give you a little preview, a little taste of what's coming up in the next three Sundays. Life and death are huge, huge topics. And it's, it's, it's incredibly uh, relevant in our world today. The next commandment, the sixth commandment is, you shall not commit murder, you shall not murder. And next week we will be talking about the commandment, when is killing murder, when is killing not murder. We will look at the, the very relevant contemporary issue of, of capital punishment. We'll talk about what does the Bible say, what is Jesus' expansion of this command of the commandment. Um, then we'll be talking obviously about God's forgiveness as well. The following week's message will deal with the abortion dilemma, the abortion dilemma. We hope to answer questions like, who decides questions of life and death? What is our foundation for truth? Is the unborn child a human being? When does life begin? And is the taking of the unborn's life ever justified? And then the next week after that, on the 19th, it's the combined service that we have, we'll be looking at war, military service, and pacifism. Was Jesus a pacifist? We'll answer all those questions, I hope, as we go. So the next three Sundays, very critical. We're taking three whole Sundays for the next commandment. Once upon a time, there was a little old man. His eyes blinked and his hands trembled. When he ate, the silverware clattered. He missed his mouth as often as not and dribbled his food on the tablecloth. He lived with his son, having nowhere else to live. His son's wife was a modern woman who was not sure in-laws belonged or should be tolerated in a woman's home. She said, I can't have this. It interferes with a woman's happiness. So she and her husband at mealtimes took this little old man to the corner of the kitchen, had him sit on a stool, and fed him his, his food in an earthenware bowl. From then on, he always ate in the corner blinking at the table with his wistful eyes. One day, the old man's hands trembled more than usual, and he dropped the bowl, which broke into pieces. The daughter-in-law was angry and said, if you were a pig, you should eat out of a trough. So they made him a little wooden trough, and he got his meals in that. This couple had a four-year-old son, of whom they were very fond. One dinner time, the young man noticed his boy was playing with some bits of wood, and he asked, what are you doing? The son smiled as he looked for approval, and he said, I'm making a trough to feed you and mama out of when I get big. The man and his wife looked at each other for a while, and they didn't speak. Then they cried a little. Then they went to the corner and took the little old man by the arm and led him back to the table. They sat him in a comfortable chair and gave him his food on a plate. From then on, nobody ever scolded when he clattered or spilled or broke things. Some of you may have recognized this story as one of Grimm's fairy tales. The modern version might be to take grandpa to the local nursing home and never see him again. Out of sight, out of mind, just get rid of the problem. This, in a crude but poignant way, illustrates the fifth commandment. Honor your parents 
lest your children dishonor you. Or in Joy Davidman's words, a society that destroys the family destroys itself. Family. Family ties. When you think of the family today, we most often think in terms of our children, not our parents. Unless, of course, we're children still at home and we have parents and siblings. Typically, it's only after we have become parents ourselves that we look back and up towards our parents with new insight and appreciation. And we say, wow, this is what my parents did for me. The fifth commandment is at the heart of Jesus' ethical teaching called the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is also the heart of the fifth commandment. I want us to look today at family ties. Family ties. If we look at this commandment, we're going to turn to Exodus 20, verse 12. Just one verse. Exodus 20, verse 12. It's on page 60 in the Bible if you want to follow along there. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The fifth commandment is really about family. All of us are children, and many of us also are parents. As we looked, the first four commandments deal with our relationship with God, vertical, and the last six commandments, starting with this commandment, deal with our relationship with other people. It's the horizontal. The first of these deal with family, the relationships within the family. It deals with family ties. This is the centerpiece. This is the center. This is the starting point for all relationships, family. Maxie Dunham writes, unless people learn to live together in the family, they aren't likely to learn to get along with anybody anywhere. Very true. Well, let's, let's look at some background. This was given to uh, a culture and a time that was very different than ours, so let's look at the background or culture. Let's start with the establishment of family, this family. This commandment was written to a society or culture that was largely a clan society. It was largely a clan society. The man, in this, when this was written, the man, the father, was the undisputed leader of each family. Okay? Unlike today, where the man who says he's the king of his house will usually lie about other things as well. As a, as a clan society, because the father was the undisputed leader, children were seen as extensions of their father's body or being. They were connected very closely. Individualism was unthinkable in this society. A person's identity was seen in connection with their parents. The identity as a clan member was primary. What they did as, or what they were as individuals was secondary because one could only survive as a clan member. Outside the family, you could never even live or survive. Life and death were dependent on your connection or your inclusion in the clan or in the family. A man was not so much himself as the son of his father. In the Old Testament, we read many times, David, son of Jesse, Solomon, son of David, etc. All, all throughout the Old Testament, you, you even find Jesus was the son of Joseph. They always talk about it in connection with the father. In my Norwegian heritage, we had the same thing that occurred as early as the, or as late as the, the early 1900s. If your na name was Hansen, that meant you were Hans's son. Swenson was the son of Svet. Anderson was the son of Ander. Nordvet, well, I never quite understood that. Um, actually, 
my grandfather emigrated from Norway in about 1917 and moved to Bellingham, Washington. And there, there were just tons of Norwegians there like there are in Wisconsin. Okay? Tons of Norwegians. There were so many Hansons that it was very confusing. So he changed his name to something nobody else would ever have, Nordvet. And we've been living with the consequences ever since. Nordvet. Actually, Nordvet is the place in Norway where he came from. Our daughter was back there a couple years ago and visited Nordvets and people who were from our clan way back when. Well, clansmen saw themselves as an extension of their father or family. And many cultures of our world still retain this family value. It's not so much in America as much, but in many other cultures, that's the truth. Maxie Dunham says the Jewish family had a sense of identity and a sense of order. This sense of order and identity gave them roots and strength, perspective and discipline. At the heart of that family structure was reverence, reverence for parents, a high regard, a respect, an esteem for older members of the family. The elderly were honored and cared for. Growing up in Japan, we saw this very clearly in the culture in Japan. The elderly were revered and honored. If you had gray hair, man, you were honored. That was true. So we have the establishment of family that was back in these days, and we're following that by the letter B, the breakdown of the family, the breakdown of the family. Over the last century, things have changed drastically in America. Many of you have watched that. When America was an agrarian farming society, we had the family farm. With the, the father's occupation was passed on to his sons. And some of you, some of you here, um, some of, I, I discovered as we came into Wisconsin, some people here in this church still have their family farm or they, they still have part of the family farm, but it's not that far away that, that they have part of the family farm. And, and the occupation typically of the father was passed on to the sons. In that day, the father's knowledge was useful to the sons. In other words, he's going to pass on the farm, he's going to pass on all his knowledge, etc. But then we entered the industrial age, and, and the father's knowledge was out of date before his sons were even half grown. Today, the, in the information of high-tech age, the knowledge of the parent is out of date as quick as the latest software update, video game, or smartphone app. It's like, I'm irrelevant. And, and if, you're, if you weren't on Facebook and then you're not on Twitter and then you're not on Instagram or whatever, it's like you are out of it. You know? Our knowledge just goes away real quickly. Also, in the Old Testament, children were viewed as a form of wealth and power. Same thing in early days in America. That slowly changed until children were considered a burden, not an asset. They were considered a burden, not an asset. And with that sh shift came the subtle change in perspective. Now, in, in addition to the children being a burden, not an asset, parents, the elderly parents, become a burden and an interference to one's life. It wasn't always this way. That's the way it's tended to be. The family began to break down in America from this unit that was strong and vibrant and healthy to a fragmented shadow of what it once was what it was intended to be. And since we are all children, many of us are parents, we need to ask two questions. Where did the family begin to break apart? And number two, what can we do about it? Now, did the children first begin to show disrespect for their parents because they were irrelevant? Or did the parents start the slide by showing disrespect or devaluing their children? What came first? 
the chicken or the egg. We're not sure where it began. But we do know that there's been a significant breakdown of the family. There's been a breakdown, number one, in marriage in general. Douglas Winall wrote an article, Marriage and Family, Vital Institutions in Crisis. And he writes this, I'm gonna, a little bit of a long quote, but I'll try to uh, move quickly through this. He says, long-held assumptions about marriage and family and their value to society are being challenged by modern social critics. What is a happy marriage and a healthy family? That's the question today. Is marriage out of date? Can family be redefined without consequences? Does it matter whether we accept the alternative lifestyles along with traditional marriage and family? He says, we are living in truly momentous times. The historic pillars of Western civilization, biblical religion, marriage, and the family are under siege and they're crumbling. Glenn Stanton, a social research analyst, makes the observation, the family in the Western world has been radically altered, some claim almost destroyed by events of the last three decades. He says the scale of marital breakdowns in the West since 1960 has absolutely no historical precedent. There's been nothing like it for the last 2,000 years and probably longer. No time in history with the possible exception of imperial Rome has the institution of marriage been more problematic than today, today. He concludes, of all the social problems facing American civilization, the decline of marriage and the breakup of the family is unquestionably our most pressing problem. It's the common denominator driving other social ills. You trace every kind of social ill, whether it's drug addiction, alcoholism, you trace uh, all of the kinds of, of society ills that are happening to us, crime. It can all be traced to the breakup and the breakdown of the nuclear family, the family. Many analysts recognize that the social sexual revolution that erupted in the 60s had momentous consequences. They, we had the anti-war demonstrators that said, make love, not war. And the intellectuals sought to liberate society from the repressive and puritanical Victorian morality that separated sex from marriage and morals. And they unleashed a wave of promiscuity that swept around the globe. The feminist crusade labeled marriage a form of slavery for women and urged women to initiate liaisons when they felt like it. Divorce laws relaxed and divorces increased. Single parent homes multiplied. Co cohabitation rates skyrocketed. Social engineers proclaimed that we have matured. We have matured and entered a new age of freedom and tolerance. However, history reveals there's a much darker side to this. The entire record of history, according to Jim Nelson Black, confirms that despair and disaster are the natural consequences of irresponsible self-indulgence. A number of Americans want to ignore the reality. Carl Henry warned that there's an increasing rejection of monogamous marriage, the ready accommodation of divorce, the legitimization of homosexuality and lesbianism as alternative lifestyles, and they will lead to a cultural Armageddon. The, the demise of marriage and family, the rise of rampant divorce, cohabitation, unrestrained sexual desires bring consequences contributing to the demise of our entire civilization. That's why it's so important to understand the significance of family. So we have the breakdown of family and marriage. Then there's the care of children, number two, care of children. Make no mistake, children are made to be raised in families by two parents, a man and a woman. They, they've done studies, independent sociologists, secular studies that have discovered that, that, that 
the marriage of a man and a woman and children raised in that environment are far more healthy than any other model. Now the breakdown first occurred, we say, how did this happen? The breakdown first occurred when dad went off to work. You had this absentee father, he, he, he was working. Mom's job was to stay home and be with the kids. So you have the absent father that's not involved at all in the kids' lives. Dad's duty, besides bringing home the bacon, was his dubious role as chief disciplinarian. Mom would say to the kids, just wait till your father gets home. How many of you said to your kids, you don't have to admit that. Just wait till your father gets home. For many years in America, it was not considered manly to love and to nurture with affection, children in the family. Then in the scramble to have more, or basically sometimes economic necessity, moms went to work. Daycare became the choice. We basically saw our children in evenings and weekends. We let someone else raise our kids. Someone said, if you put your children in daycare from the time they're born, you can expect your children to put you in a nursing home when you're old. Who? What happens with single parents? Single parenting, some of you are single parents. Incredibly challenging. How do we deal with a breakdown of family? Many single parents, not of their own choice. It's tough. And because of the breakdown of the family in general, the supportive networks don't exist. Grandparents used to be present, even in the home of children growing up, and many times they live far away because we live in these different cities and different places. And they're retired, they're absent, they don't have the kind of supportive networks that we used to have. There's a couple that we know that told their kids, their kids were married and had kids of their own now, and they said, uh, we did our job, you're on your own. He said, we did our job, you're on your own. They bought a condo in Palm Springs and a small yacht, and they spent all their time golfing or cruising on the Puget Sound. No engagement at all with their grandchildren. What a travesty, what a, what a missed opportunity of support and influence. Family, family. Now I'm, I'm just attempting to describe the general sequence of the breakdown of the American family. By the way, I know of far more instances where grandparents are so committed to their grandchildren, they'll sell their house and move to you know, Timbuktu to be with their grandkids because they want to support and work with them. There are far more examples of that than the negative. But just the way society operates today, is it's become increasingly difficult for grandparents to be engaged also, involved in family life. Critical. The breakdown of the family. Then we have the care of the elderly. But the natural consequences of all this was the deterioration of the care of our elderly. Now, if we look around us, us today, we see that physically, physically we have the best care available for our elderly the best retirement centers and assisted living centers, memory care centers and nursing homes. Now, I don't want to be cynical. I wish all the motives were entirely altruistic, but I think some of them are materialistic. There's a lot of money to be made in elder care today. And yes, the physical care of our elderly is taken care of, but are they being honored? Are they being honored? That's... That's the question. Let's look at the command, Roman numeral two. Honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. The definition of honor, according to the American Heritage Dictionary, is to esteem or to respect, to reverence. It means 
caring, it means showing affection. It means prizing one highly, placing value upon. It means to love them. And of course, we, we tend to think of this differently depending on the age of our parents or our age as children. How do we honor them? You know, when we're age four, our parents know everything. Age four, our parents know everything. At age 10, they don't know everything, but they know more than me. At age 16, our parents have lost their minds and know nothing. At age 18, I know far more than my parents. And by age 23, my parents have learned a great deal over the last five years. Now, when you have your own children, our parents and their grandparents, once again, know everything. Okay? It's kind of this, this process we get through. Honor, prize, and respect. There's a, there's a passage, and we don't have time to unpack this a lot, but I just want to refer to it in Ephesians, Ephesians 5. It, it talks about family relationships. And uh, Ephesians 5.21 uh, is the first verse that says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And when it talks about submitting to one another, there's this, this attitude of love and preference for one another in family. And by the way, there's no way we can do this without the power of the Holy Spirit in us because we're naturally selfish creatures. I don't know if you are. I am. Ask my wife. Um, we are all, you know, it's just a natural tendency. We need the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside. But it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Critical in honoring in our family. These are family values and family guidelines. Okay. When I was a student ministries pastor, I was occasionally called on to mediate between parents and their children. And I would point this passage out to them, starting with submit to one another. And then, of course, we talk about wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And then husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When there's mutual love and submission and working together in this kind of uh, setting, there is, it's a healthy environment of honoring one another. Honoring one another. And then kids... 6.1, it says, obey your parents, honor them. And then it says, parents, don't exasperate or frustrate your kids, okay? So there are all kinds of guidelines, and we would go through these guidelines and try to analyze who's exasperating who, and who's obeying, are we honoring, are we doing that? It's, it's family. These are family values and, and family guidelines that we have. Honoring one another. What are the responsibilities of parents to children? Four things, among many. Number one is training. Number two is modeling or, or living it out. Three is love. And four is discipline. Responsibilities of parents to children. There was a Sunday school teacher who was discussing the Ten Commandments with her five and six-year-olds. And after explaining the commandment of, to, of honor your father and your mother, she asked, is there another commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? And one of the little boys raised his hand and says, yes, thou shalt not kill. Okay. Letter C, responsibilities of children to parents. Responsibility of the children's parents. Number one is obey. I didn't say that. God said that. And I know that 12 p.m. midnight curfew is very unpopular. Nobody else has to obey it. But if your parents say that's it, it's it. Obey it. Obey your parents. And then honor. Honor your parents. Honor your parents. Respect, which means respect, fear, revere, and highly prize. It is something that we're all called to do, no matter where our parents are. Now, what happens as our parents age? Um, 
We all grow up, we gain independence, we become adults ourselves. And there are certain signs of growing up as, as we make this transition from, from childhood to adulthood. When I turned 18, I just graduated from high school, and my expression of independence was to buy my own car. Um, I worked summer jobs, saved my money, had a down payment, bought my first car with my own money. I was so, I was so proud of that. I was going to express my independence. It wasn't anything great. It was a 1967 two-door Ford Fairlane Red, bright red, um, 289 V8. So it, it, it moved down the road. I jacked it up, put some wide tires and baby moons. I couldn't afford mags, but I could afford those. Baby moons were like 20 bucks a piece or something. Put those on there. So my expression of independence. Well, all through our lives, we are children of our parents, and we like to push that and move us into independence. Our parents are strong for us, and sometimes they bail us out of trouble. They make that car payment when we're between jobs. They supplement our rent or let us live at home again for a while. They are there for us. Our parents are there for us, and we honor them. But one day, one day, there's there's almost an imperceptible shift, a shift. At age 23, I was a student at John Brown University in Arkansas, and I received a phone call one night. My dad, who lived in North Dakota, was in the hospital. He had major blockages in three arteries. They were going to have to do open-heart surgery, and that was, at this time in history, this was experimental. This was not done very often. He was only 53 years old. I was unable to get home in time, so I stayed in school, not knowing really how serious this was. And after his surgery, they kept him in ICU for 30 days under sedation. By the way, nine years later, he had the same surgery. They had him up walking the next day. So a lot of advances that have happened in open-heart surgery. In fact, in fact, we had one of our, one of our members, Bill Becker, had uh, some blockages and went in Friday and had stents put in, and he'll be home this afternoon. So, you know, that's, that's the difference between then and now. But this was serious. And I will never forget when I came home for Christmas five weeks later. I met my dad at the door of a home in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and the man that I met was transformed. He was old, aged, stooped, and weak. A shift in roles commenced immediately. I became his protector. I stayed home to finish college at the University of North Dakota because I had to shovel the snow, I had to maintain the cars, I had to take care of the house, I had to take care of everything. The good news is my father recovered. I, I, I can almost guarantee you that the effects we're not of the surgery, but probably being under, under sedation for 30 days. They know that now. But we didn't know that back then. He recovered. He, he lived another 27 years and did ministry for all that time. But I will never forget the shift in role. All of a sudden, I felt like my dad, who was the strong one, who took care of everything, who stepped up when I needed him, all of a sudden, I became his protector. And maybe it's happened to you. You're walking with your parent and they stumble or they lose their balance, nearly fall, and you reach out to, to help them. Or maybe you're riding in a car together and mom was older, more fragile, and can't see as well, and suddenly in a near miss of an accident, you real, realize that you reach out to protect her. A shift in roles. 
How do we honor our father and mother as they age? I tell my daughters, you want to honor us? Get married and give us grandkids. Hurry up. I had the privilege of doing a lot of different things when I was working my way through college, and one of them, probably one of the most educating experiences, I was an orderly in a, in a nursing home. And uh, some in the nursing home were physically ambulatory and mentally sharp. Others were helpless. They were physically, phys- physically or suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's. And one of the things I noticed was no matter where they were, some had family in the area and some did not. And so some were visited and some were not. And some that had family in the area were never visited. All of them received excellent care physically from the staff. But what made the difference in them being, was, was them being honored by family. It was family, family ties. Some were honored by family, some were ignored. In fact, our aging parents need our time and attention even more if they're removed from the setting of home and family. See, we are a culture that easily disposes of our elderly. When they can no longer contribute to society, we label them a burden. When they can no longer perform their daily functions, we put them away like the little old man in the Grimm's fairy tale. The love stops when we can no longer have love returned. Well, the next step, one of the next steps in my journey on family is at almost 80, my father passed away. My mother began to slowly decline over a long period of time, suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's. And when she no longer had an awareness of where she was, and it didn't seem to matter, we were faced with the decision she needed constant care. We put her in a group home. And when I visited her, she knew family but was unable to carry on a normal conversation or function mentally. And it occurred to me, over the months as, as I visited mom, mom had been a, a brilliant writer, 30 books published. She had been a pastor's wife for 45 years. She had played piano. She had done all of these things, very gifted. She was a doer. Everything was based on doing. And I realized as I looked at her that she could no longer do but she was still as valuable to God as when she did. It wasn't about doing, it's about being. And that was a revelation to me that I placed value on doing and I realized it wasn't about doing, it's about being. I know many of families had to make the agonizing decision to put one or both of their parents in a nursing home. Sometimes there are no other options. None of us is equipped to give 24-hour care. And the question is not, should we put dad or mom in a nursing home or in elder care? The question is, are we honoring our father and our mother? And can we continue to honor them as they receive the care they need? Underlying this commandment is a clear valuation of human life and human dignity from conception to natural death. The value is always there. Honoring our fathers and mothers. No matter what our life stage, beginning of life, end of life, life is precious and valuable. Now interestingly, 
says in Ephesians that this is the first command with a promise. There's a promise that comes with this. Let's look at that promise. Ephesians 6, 3 says, honor your father, father and mother so that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. What does he say? He's saying, you will live long, you will live well, and you will enjoy life. Why does God give us this commandment? God's top 10, it's about relationship. It's about relationship. It's about family. It's for our good. It's for the good of society. Long life, security in your land. Honor your father and mother. God's promise of security, long life, and good life. Because when a family lives together in order under God, the result is the quality of life that God intended. God says, I promise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us guidelines that are so rich and so meaningful. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us wisdom and understanding of, of how we honor our parents. And not only other family members or directly related, but maybe grandparents or uncles and aunts and people who are further along in years. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would understand and begin to understand the why. Father, our families are, we have brokenness. Our, we have much brokenness in our society and culture. And there is no such thing as a perfect family. We know that. But we thank you that you are a redemptive God who redeems us and keeps us and heals us. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be able to emphasize this part of our family life, that you love us so deeply. And we pray, God, that we will honor you as well. In Jesus' name, amen.